From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. The Pentagon Papers and the Spielberg Hanks myth-making movie, The Post, is in Hour 1. Assassination researcher James Eugenio will be along shortly to discuss. Hour 2, award-winning remote viewer Igor Grigich will join us to talk about associative remote viewing. Uh, before all that, I have to tell you, I was visiting uh, my mom in Brantford this past weekend. Not the Brantford in the new Jumanji movie, the fictional Brantford. I took my boys to see that, and <laughs> I'd forgotten in the original one, one with Robin Williams, it takes place in Brantford, New Hampshire, which is a fictional town. But I come from, I hail from the only original Brantford, Brantford, Ontario. So I was there this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, with the, the boys uh, to visit mom. And I, um, through Facebook, I reconnected with some of my old, uh, my I shouldn't say old, my fellow students from my middle school back in Brantford, Woodman Drive, a public school, some of whom I hadn't seen in 40 years, including our beloved grade 8 teacher, Mr. Gary Prince, who was one of these, um, you know, this is back in 1977, had long hair and a beard and, and rode a motorcycle uh, and was into, like, tropical fish and biology, and he was just an amazing a larger-than-life teacher, and we all loved him. And um, I have to thank Brad Gross, who organized the get-together at this historic place in Brantford called the Brantford Club. It was, it's it been around a long time, uh, well over a 100 years. Originally, it was one of these hoity-toity men-only clubs, but it's obviously uh, since moved on, and, and uh, all, all are uh, welcome. Um, here's the, uh, the interesting thing. Uh, Winston Churchill, they brought out this guest book, uh, under glass, and Winston Churchill was had signed the guest book. He had visited there in 1901. 1901. Uh, he was 24 years of age, and uh, the walls are adorned with a number of uh, Winston Churchill paintings. Anyway, a great time, a lot of reminiscing. Uh, our grade 8 teacher was in fine storytelling form, and I just wanted to say hello to Brad Gross again and thank him, and also to uh, uh, Bruce McIntosh and Yvonne Brack and my old buddy David Garkett and uh, Jerry Draper. Uh, again, a wonderful time. We'll have to do it again sometime. Let me quickly introduce the uh, the boys in the band on the other side of the glass on the Flying V, Gibson Guitar. Technical producer Ian Robertson is here. Here in the studio on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, my story producer, Albert Vinzel, and finally on the Hammond B3 and kettle drums. Did you know you play the kettle drums? You probably didn't know that, Ryan, but I've added that. <laughs> He's our YouTube live stream producer and our feature producer, uh, yes, Ryan White. Uh, just a reminder, we are streaming live on YouTube. Check it out. The YouTube channel is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And please... Uh, take a moment and hit the sub button. We are at, I believe, 6,800 subscribers. Just about spot on, 6,800, and trying to get to 10,000. Also, just a reminder, my new podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, not sure if you had a chance to see the movie 
The Post. Uh, the Steven Spielberg picture starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep about the Washington Post's involvement, handling of the famous Pentagon Papers. These were the uh, classified top secret. Um, it, it was a study commissioned by, I believe, Robert McNamara at the Defense Department looking at the political uh, involvement, political motivations behind the war in Vietnam. And from uh, right from like the, the late 40s all the way up until about 1968, and uh, those, uh, that study was leaked. You know, long before Edward Snowden, there was a um, another whistleblower by the name of uh, Ellsberg, Daniel Ellsberg, and he leaked this document uh, to the uh, the New York Post and uh, and other newspapers, and was facing uh, a rather, he was charged under the Espionage Act. And was facing something like 115 years. Uh, didn't serve any time, but we'll get into that as it turns out. Um, however, this film, The Post, you know, it's getting a lot of good reviews. Uh, but James D. Eugenio has uh, written a lengthy review, not particularly glowing. Uh, he says it is, surprise, surprise, just another case of Hollywood myth-making. And we're going to get into that this hour, Jim D. Eugenio, good friend of the show, the author of Destiny Betrayed, about the Garrison investigation of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, that came out back in 2012. And then Reclaiming Parkland, published in 2013, reissued and expanded in uh, 2016, which offers a detailed, critical examination of the Warren Commission's evidence and conclusions, along with an analysis of the CIA's influence in Hollywood. He's also the co-author and editor of the Assassinations, Probe Magazine on JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X. He co-edited Probe Magazine from 1993 to 2000, was a guest commentator on the anniversary issue of the film JFK, released by Warner Brothers in 2013, and he has an MA in Contemporary American History from California State University, Northridge, also a specialist in the history and theory of cinema, and has written numerous film reviews, Jim Eugenio, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Good evening, Richard. If you could, just in a few moments, Jim, just bring uh, people up to speed uh, on the Pentagon Papers, because it's been almost 50 years uh, since they were released. The Pentagon Papers that were, I guess, officially called United States-Vietnam Relations 1945 to 1967. So explain what they were, and then take a few moments and talk about who Daniel Ellsberg is. Okay. This is, you have to differentiate, when people say the Pentagon Papers, there's really three things they're talking about. The actual history called the Pentagon Papers, the Supreme Court case in which the New York Times and Washington Post had to go to court to publish parts of them, and then the criminal trial that Nixon and Mitchell held against Daniel Ellsberg and Tony Russo in Los Angeles. Now, what you just asked me, that's where we should start. What were the Pentagon Papers, and why was all this hubbub about them? In 1967, Defense Secretary Robert McNamara decided that the Vietnam War was a lost cause. Even though he was Secretary of Defense, he would literally spend days crying in his office you know, into, into a curtain, all right? And in November of that year, 
he wrote Johnson, President Johnson, a memo saying we have to have peace here. And since Johnson didn't buy that, of course, he ushered McNamara out the door and brought in a new Secretary of Defense, Clark, Clark Clifford. But earlier in that year, in June of 1967, McNamara had commissioned an encyclopedic massive study of the entire history of the Vietnam War, going all the way back to 1945. And it was going to trace American involvement. In other words, how the heck did we ever get in this mess? All right? And why can't we get out? And McNamara said very quickly at the start, I want it to be objective. I want it to be complete. I will not... I will not say one word either way about its completion. And he and he right? had this from Johnson. He didn't tell Johnson, correct? Well, wait a minute. Wait, I was just going to get to that. He classified it top secret. And one of the reasons he classified it top secret was to keep it from Johnson. All right? So he never found out about it. Okay, because he knew that if Johnson found out about it, it'd get terminated. All right? And so there was three people in charge of the project. John McNaughton, Assistant Secretary of Defense, Morton Halperin, his first deputy, and the guy who ran it on a day-to-day, uh, on a day-to-day supervision op- operation was Leslie Gelb. And Gelb always said, I had no problems getting documents all I had to do was say, McNamara wants us to do this, you know. And it ended up being the complete set of this very long 7,000-page encyclopedia was 49 volumes long, all right? And believe me, when I say it was complete, it was really complete. And there were many, many, many documents in that encyclopedia that really exposed, the number one thing it did is it exposed the utter hypocrisy and deception of almost all the administrations, but especially Johnson's administration, because he's the one who actually escalated the war. Right. What were some beyond of the, where it had been before. What were some of the key findings? Well, to, get, to get, give you an example... One of the more interesting things is that this was one of the early, early times where the whole thing about the Gulf of Tonkin incident Mm -hmm. was exposed. In other words, I guess I should explain that, right? The Gulf of Tonkin incident? 1964. This is the 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 pretext for the war. The Gulf of Tonkin incident was a naval incident that took place in August of 1964 during which the administration, that is Johnson's administration, said that two American destroyers had been attacked on the high seas. All right? And this happened on, out of three nights, it happened two out of the three nights, and Johnson used what he said were these attacks to go ahead and pass 
the Gulf of Tonkin resolution through this Senate, which ended up, he used it for a declaration of war against North Vietnam. And in fact, he immediately attacked North Vietnam with, I believe, 65 air sorties in about 24 hours. And this, for all intents and purposes, this was the beginning of America's war, where America actually began to take over the war. Johnson said that it was the North Vietnamese who were the aggressors, that the United States ships were in neutral waters, okay, and that the United States ships were only on normal patrol duties. Well, it turned out that every one of those statements was wrong, all right, every single one of them. And Johnson was disguising the fact that the Gulf of Tonkin, those patrols, were meant as, in many ways, provocations. And this was part of a plan that Johnson wanted to escalate the war, all right, as the president, as as once he became president in his own right. That is, once he won the election of 19th. And that's another thing that the Pentagon Papers exposed. We'll get into that in a moment, Jim. Let me just jump in. We'll right. take a time out. Come back. James D. Eugenio, assassination researcher, KennedysandKing.com, the website. Check it out. We're talking about the Pentagon Papers. More in a moment right here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarek. Welcome back. Jim Eugenio is here, assassination researcher. Kennedysandking.com, the website. We're talking about the Pentagon Papers and this new uh, Spielberg myth-making uh, movie called The Post. And uh, this has to do with the, the Washington Post, Ben Bradley. Uh, and Kathleen Graham, publisher, and their role in um, the um, bringing the Pentagon Papers uh, to uh, to the fore. However, as as we'll see, this is was nothing more than myth making. But right now, we're just talking about what the Pentagon Papers were. So, which is what's interesting is McNamara, uh, who was also Kennedy's defense secretary. I mean, there was a lot of things that were very damning to the Kennedy assassination or Kennedy administration as well. Why would he have wanted that? Reveal because I mean obviously the Kennedy Kennedy administration was involved some way in the overthrow the coup of South Vietnam's uh, President Diem and, and his assassination. Why would why would um, McNamara want all that revealed? Well, I think there's two reasons. Okay, number one, he really never wanted to escalate the war, as uh, Frederick Logoval says in his very good study. Uh, choosing a war. McNamara did what he did because that's what Johnson wanted him to do. And he felt like, I'm the Secretary of Defense. I have to carry out whatever President says I should do. He never seriously thought of resigning until 1967 when he realized that this was all just a terrible, terrible mistake. You know, and that Johnson had reversed Kennedy's withdrawal plan, you know, and it had absolutely horrendous results. I think the other reason, you know, number one being that he never really wanted to do this, really. Okay, the other reason is that before Kennedy was assassinated, 
he had told a couple of people that when I get back from Dallas, we're going to review this whole situation in Vietnam. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and I'm going to ask everybody the question, why should we stay there? You know, because he was, he was at that point already, but what he was disappointed in was that most of his advisors were not. So one way to look at this is that McNamara was completing the arc that Kennedy himself was going to do if he had not been assassinated. You know, it's a very, very interesting question, and I'm really glad you asked it because the film doesn't go into it at all. And in fact, the film completely distorts McNamara. Right. That's one of the worst things about the movie. We'll, and we will get in, into in that. The in the film, do you want me to go into that now? No, we'll, we'll get into the film in a moment because we, need to, we just okay. need to explain who Daniel Ellsberg was. But before that, I mean, one of the things that came out was that, that, that this wasn't about the United States helping their friend sell Vietnam. This was about a larger, a larger policy of containing China. And, yes. I mean, that would have cost... I mean, probably, you know, more lives than the, the Second World War. It, it would have been... Well, there's a very famous paragraph in the Pentagon Papers. It might be one of the most famous paragraphs in, in, the, whole, in the whole 49 volumes, where McNaughton, McNamara's deputy, says, words to the effect, in 1967, why are we still in Vietnam? Number one, 70% to contain China... No, no, no. Get this. 10% to try and save the country, 20% to try and contain China, 70% to avoid a humiliating defeat. Hmm. Do you believe that? This is the Assistant Secretary of Defense admitting that the major reason we're there, 90% of it, is to avoid a humiliating defeat and try and contain China. We're only, it's ten, only 10%. You know, to, to try and help the Vietnamese people. All right, so now we That's enter... Right in the Pentagon Papers. Right. Now we enter <laughs> Rand, uh, Rand uh, employee, military analyst, Daniel Ellsberg. Take us, uh, take us to, to, okay. to Daniel. Ellsberg is a very interesting character, uh, and it's very shameful that he's only in the movie for like maybe 15 minutes, all right? Because if it wasn't for him, none of this ever would have happened. Daniel Ellsberg spent three years in the Marines in the mid-1950s, graduated from Harvard, and was actually a hawk in the 1950s, all right? And so he then was employed by Rand Corporation, and he was considered a very top-flight Pentagon analyst. And... One of the things he worked on in this book he has out now is atomic war game theory. I think his book is called The Doomsday Machine, all right? Uh, and it just came out a few weeks ago, all right? Well, one of the things that he studied also, of course, was the Vietnam War, all right? And so, in his opinion, he thought there were too many conflicting signals, 1965, 19, and so he decided, you know something, I should actually go there and take a look. So he volunteered for, uh, uh, he switched from the Defense Department to the State Department, went to Vietnam for two years, talked to people like Ed Lansdale, talked to people like John Paul Van, talked to the Vietnamese leaders, and he came back 
And he's now convinced that this is not just a lost cause. It's an absolute disaster. You know, we're, we're, we're propping up a government that literally has no support. You know, if we weren't there, the government would collapse. Didn't he also expose right? the, so lie, therefore, the lie that there were... All these people were dying for nothing. Didn't he also expose the lie that there were these... Supposedly, there's, there are these U.S. Army patrols in certain regions of the country, and they don't <laughs> even exist. Hysterical? They don't even exist. Isn't that hysterical? That he he went out in the field with the John Paul Band's mission, and he looks at this paperwork, and he and he's well, he wait a minute, where are these guys? There's no patrols in this territory. <laughs> they would just make this stuff up to make it look like their mission was succeeding. All right. And so, and so he, there, he comes back, and two things happen on the way back. He actually talks to McNamara, which, and by the way, that's in the movie, thank God. And he actually talks to Bob Comer in a private conversation. And he finds out that Mac, he, McNamara doesn't think it's working anyway, but when they touch down in the United States, he tells the press that we are, the effort, American effort is working. And he finds out that Comer doesn't believe it either. And Comer was like in the Defense Department, and he was supposed to be running a counterinsurgency program. And so what he realizes after all this is that the only reason we're still in Vietnam is because Johnson doesn't want to lose the war. All right? But then he also finds out, because he goes back to Rand when he comes back from Vietnam, and one of Rand's missions after the presidential election of 68 was to brief Kissinger. Okay? And so he goes ahead and he briefs Kissinger. And he tells them just how bad everything is. But then he hears that Nixon does not want to be the first president to lose a war. So now, to him, there's no way out of this thing. So he had worked on one chapter of the Pentagon Papers, all right? I think, I think he worked on 1961. And so he knew that Rand Corporation had two copies of the entire 49 volumes, all right? And he had a friend there named Anthony Russo. Russo had also been in Vietnam, and what his mission was, was to check on the prisoners of war that the United States had taken from North Vietnam and the Viet Cong. He came to the conclusion, there's no way we're going to win this thing, because these people really believe in what they're doing. They're willing to die. Right, and they're going to, they're going to cling to the lie right to the bitter end. Yeah, and so... When Ellsberg tells him, do you know McNamara commissioned this encyclopedic study back in 67 that confirms everything we're talking about? And do you know that there's two copies here? And Russo immediately goes, well, you've got to copy them. That's Get actually, them out of here. excuse me, Jim, this is actually one of the better parts in the movie, I thought. I mean, in terms yes, of the filmmaking, that, the beginning, yeah. that, that, that nervous scene of the photocopying. That's actually quite well done. They really created, yes. Spielberg created a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. All right, and so, so that's what they do. At that time, Russo had a girlfriend, Linda Sine, all right, and she had an advertising company. 
And they, of course, did not want to take it to, you know, an open business kind of thing. And so they asked her if they could use her comping machine. All right. And night after night, week after week, I think it was for over a month. All right. They copied the Pentagon Papers. All 49, okay. so 49 that's volumes. That's how he got his copy. Hmm. And so, that, of course, technically it's theft because it was a top-secret study at Rand Corporation, which he spirited out and copied. It's more right. than theft. So it's espionage. So the question became, yeah. how am I going to get this thing to the public? Right. All right. And so he goes to Washington. He goes to three senators and a congressman. All right. McGovern. Matthias and Fulbright are right. the senators. Right. All right. McCloskey is the congressman. And in a long chapter in his book, Secrets, which I recommend anybody read, all right, um, much better than this movie, all right, for one reason or another, every one of them turned him down. And that was very important because if you read my review, the reason that he wanted to do it this way is because in the Constitution, there's a free speech and debate clause that if you read something on the floor of the House or the floor of the Senate, the FBI cannot question you about where you got it. All right. Right. And so the, he thought that would be the safest way for him to do this. It would have been all but about when they board. all said yeah. no. He now said, I got to get it to the press then. And that's when he went to the New York Times. And that's when all of his problems began. Right. Now, right. Neil Sheehan, uh, the, the reporter at the New York Times, who I understand also was a hawk uh, and, yes. and was then later converted to the fact that this is a lost cause and it's going to be an absolute bloodbath unless we get this out. Now, did Sheehan, did he go to um, Ellsberg's apartment because he had a key for some reason? And did he take those documents or did yes. – how did that that's work true. out? That's true. Ellsberg knew him from Vietnam, and so Ellsberg calls him up because he had he had left Rand Corporation and he was now had a teaching fellowship at MIT. So Sheehan drove up to Cambridge, and Ellsberg shows him the documents, and he says, "I'll let you take notes on this stuff, all right, and go ahead and talk to the guys at the New York Times, all right, and then let me know if they want to publish them." And then I'll let you copy them. Well, <laughs> what happened is that Ellsberg left for one weekend. He had given Sheehan the key to his apartment for him to take his notes. And when he was gone, Sheehan went ahead and copied them and brought him down to New York. He never told Ellsberg about this, and he never told him what the status was at the New York Times editing room about what they were going to do with them. Right. All right. And so he had to find out through a different reporter at the New York Times on the eve of their three-day series. Okay? That's how Ellsberg found out about it. All right? And so what happens is... I'll get you to hold it. Jim, I'm going to get you to hold it right there. We're going to head into a break here. Uh, I mean, you know... Much has been said about the New York Times in the last several years and how I think in many respects they have fallen from grace. But this is a real important moment in their history uh, because a lot of the management 
the upper echelons of the New York Times, the ownership did not want to publish. Uh, but those just sort of below them threatened to resign unless they did. Very heroic, and we have to give kudos to um, what some call now the failing New York Times. But at the moment, this is a pinnacle moment in history, and uh, we'll pick up the story with Jim DiEugenio on the other side as we discuss the Pentagon paper, uh, Papers and the uh, Spielberg movie, The Post. Back with more in a moment. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Next hour, remote viewer Igor Grigich uh, will be here. Next week on the program, oh, we have a good one in store for you. I'm excited about this. Uh, now, Bryce Abel uh, is um, an award-winning uh, author, and there's this, there's this uh, genre that I really like. It's alternative history. So it's one of those what-if things that worked out a little differently. And, and his debut in this sort of this genre, Bryce Abel, that is, was called Surrounded by Enemies. What if Kennedy survived Dallas? And he won the uh, the Sideways Award for Alternative History on that. Uh, now, he has a new one out, uh, and it's called Once There Was a Way. What if the Beatles stayed together? So Bryce Abel will join us next week to talk about that. And then in the second hour... L.A. Marzulli, he's got an update on those elongated skulls from Peru. Uh, they have some uh, DNA uh, testing uh, performed on those, and he'll be uh, along, I guess, to give us the results. So that's Bryce Zabel on uh, what if the Beatles stay together and uh, L.A. Marzulli on the elongated skulls. All right, Jim DiEugenio is with us, kennedysandking.com. Check out that website. It's fantastic. And um, we are talking about the Pentagon Papers and the Steven Spielberg movie, The Post, with Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep playing Ben Bradley and Kathleen Graham. And uh, Jim has sort of, in his review, you can read it at kennedysandking.com, really uh, talks about how this is nothing more than than uh, myth-making. So let's just very quickly tie this up and talk about uh, the New York Times and their battle to, to publish this uh, and, and the Nixon administration trying to shut it down and so forth. And then we'll get into uh, the Spielberg movie, Jim. All right. At the New York Times, there was a great debate about whether or not to publish the documents. The upper management, the owner, etc., didn't want to do it. Their hired law firm advised them not to do it. But the managing editor, Abe Rosenthal, and many of the reporters said, we're either going to publish this stuff, we're going to be looking for a new staff. All right? And so they decided to go ahead and publish it. Their general counsel, James Goodale, was a real hero here because the law firm then deserted the Times because they disobeyed their recommendation. And James Goodale put together an ad hoc defense team when they were sued, which they were, by Nixon and Mitchell. All right? So then, once that happened, and they had to stop publishing, that's when Ellsberg started getting out through his little network, new copy after new copy after new copy. Eventually, 19 newspapers had some version of the Pentagon Papers. Right. This was because of Ellsberg. But the Times had published... When the Washington Post started publishing, they did it for two days. Nixon and Mitchell sued them, too. Right. But the, po- the New so York the Times... was keeping one step ahead of Nixon and Mitchell. And finally, it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled for the Times six to three. Right. Right. All right. Now, 
this is interesting because now we get into the, the Hollywood myth making. So here we have the New York Times breaking the story. They published excerpts for three days before they were actually, I guess, you know, the injunction or whatever, before they were stopped. Temporary. Uh, temporary. Way. Yeah. So, but they published it for three days. They broke the story. And then, as you say, in order to, you know, to keep it moving, there were other 19 other papers that were approached. So why does Spielberg decide to tell this story from the perspective of Kathleen Graham, who was very, you know, very uh, close with the Johnson administration? Why did they choose to tell it from that particular angle? They, they, had, they were a minor player in all this. Yeah, they were involved. The, the saga of the Pentagon Papers went on for well over two years, actually closer to three. And so the Post was involved for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. But yet, in this movie, it's like the major players in the story are Kate Graham and Ben Bradley. When in fact, you know, as Floyd Abrams, one of the lawyers who appeared in court to defend the Times, said, they're inconsequential. They, they would have just sued somebody else. Once they shut us down, they were looking to sh- sue everybody else. And then another thing that Floyd Abrams told me, Jim, this would be like making a movie about Watergate and focusing on the New York Times instead of the Washington Post. Right. And he's right. exactly right about that. Yeah, because as you point you out know? in your review, Jim, in in uh, Ellsberg's book, and this is you know this is the definitive account because you know it's told in the first person, he only mentions uh, Ben Bradley once and Kathleen Graham not once at all in the entire what yeah, 400 isn't pages. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He mentions Ben Bradley once, 457-page book, doesn't mention Graham at all. All right? So that's how important, okay, they were from his point of view. And then, of course, you have Kate Graham's book, Personal History, 500 pages long, 12 pages on the Pentagon Papers. Hmm. All right, that's how much it meant to her. Right. See, and like I said in that review, you know, if you take a look at the background of the Post, and who Graham and Bradley really were. They were Johnson's cheerleaders. Yes. On escalating the entire war. As Johnson actually, I don't think I put this in the review. Johnson actually said once that Kate Graham's support is worth 15 divisions for me in South Vietnam. Oh, oh, oh very telling, Jim. We've got to take another time out. We'll come back and uh, finish up to the top of the hour. Jim D. Eugenio, the Pentagon Papers and the Hollywood Myth Making. Steven Spielberg's The Post with uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show. Jim DiEugenio is with us. Assassination researcher, and again, the website is... Kennedysandking.com, and we're talking about the Pentagon Papers. Daniel Ellsberg, sort of one of the original whistleblowers, uh, that released this 7,000-page, 43-volume study that was commissioned by Robert McNamara and the Defense Department, or the Pentagon, um, sort of looking at U.S.-Vietnamese relations beginning in 1945 all the way up until 1967, and sort of exposed... 1968. 68, thank you, and exposed the lie. Uh, And yet... Uh, and it was this story was uh, was um, released by the New York Times. They broke the story, and yet Spielberg decides to tell it from the perspective 
of the Washington Post, uh, and uh, right. makes a, a you know a hero out of Kathleen Graham and and Ben Bradley, <laughs> when as you when you, as you say. Uh, Kathleen Graham, um, were in tight with the, uh, the Johnson administration and, and she must have known full well that when Johnson was campaigning in 64 that he had no intention of, you know, widening the, uh, U.S. involvement in Vietnam, that he was going to do the exact opposite. Right. Because as I note in the, in the essay, right, Johnson wanted the Washington Post in his corner because they were the local newspaper. They had a very large circulation in the Washington area, and they were very influential. And so he knew he was going to expand the war, reverse Kennedy's policies, and he wanted them on his side. So I think in the spring of 1964, I think it was April 64, he had Graham and the executive editors over to the White House for dinner and he told them this, that I'm going to go ahead and expand the war. And what's important about that date is it's before the campaign started. So they had to know that he was lying his head off when he said, we seek no wider war and we don't want to send American boys to do the job that Asian boys must do. All right. So they must have known. And the proof of that, of course, is that all of his escalations the major ones in 65 and 66, they supported them. Not only did they support them, they went after the people who tried to attack Johnson for doing it. Right. You know? Right. And yet I mean, Spielberg... So how, you know, come on. This whole idea that there's a scene in the movie where she confronts McNamara, there's two lies going on in that scene. The idea that she didn't know what Johnson was going to do and B, she didn't approve of it. And the second lie is on the, on the characterization of McNamara that he didn't want her to print the Pentagon Papers. McNamara never interfered with anybody's printing of the Pentagon Papers. Why, why would he have commissioned it if he didn't want it to get out? Right. That's exactly the question that the movie doesn't want you to ask yourself. All right? So this is why, you know, and then the other scene, which is so, oh, my God, I almost threw up when I watched this, <laughs> is when... Bejdikian, the reporter who from Daniel Post, Ellsberg yeah. knew, yeah, from the comes into Bradley's office with this tall grocery bag, all right, and he says words to the effect that I always wanted to be part of rebellion. Bradley, played by Tom Hanks, looks in the bag, brings it over to Graham's office, starts pulling out all these newspapers, and says words to the effect, look what we did, and they start celebrating. I mean, that was so disgusting. That was that was Ellsberg who did that. Mm-hmm. It was like I said earlier in the show. It was Ellsberg who then copied the other, the the whole seven thousand page study and started sending it out to to a total of a grand total of nineteen newspapers, knowing that that would get him in even more trouble with the White House. Right. Because of course, every time he copied it, that was another count. And we should point out that Ellsberg was actually he was on the lam for something like two weeks. The FBI there was a manhunt for him, yes, uh, and yes. and he was facing under the Espionage Act about 115 years. He was facing 115 year maximum sentence, Russo 35. And here here's another, and it said this is all completely left out of the movie, but they tried to flip Russo to testify against Ellsberg, mm-hmm. and they put him in jail for seven weeks. 
and he wouldn't do it. And so they both went to trial in Los Angeles. You know, and and the reason that the trial failed was because, and this is another thing that's completely left out of the movie, Nixon personally supervised five meetings on the prosecution in Los Angeles. Five. All right? And it ended up that the charges got thrown out because, A, they illegally wiretapped Ellsberg. B, they sent the plumber's unit to raid a psychiatrist's office and dig up dirt on him. Right. And C, they uh, they also... Um, offered a they, job they to the tried judge. They influenced the judge. Yeah, they offered him a job. <laughs> the <laughs> FBI is not a job. FBI directorship. Right. Classic Dick Tricky Dick. Uh, and this was this is kind of an interesting point in history because this is where the plumbers, this is why they were created prior to the Watergate break-in. They were they were created the plumbers to fix the leaks. As a result well, of the no, well, okay, that's one way. Well, okay, that's the way the plumbers influenced the Ellsberg case. But the film tries to say that that's the reason the plumbers were created in the first place. Ah, okay. They, the, the reason they were created in the first place is because Nixon was going crazy because he thought that Johnson had the file on him interfering in the 68 election with um, uh, the uh, South Vietnam. Right, yeah, he, under the Logan Act. I mean, he, that, would, that would have been yeah. treasonous. Okay, so you, you know all about that. Yeah. Great, great. i got to yeah. ask you, though, uh, because Nixon didn't come into office until 69. I mean, I know he was vice president under Eisenhower, and Eisenhower, obviously, they had some... Uh, dealings with with Vietnam but why was Nixon so afraid of the Pentagon Papers he wasn't directly involved you know that's a really good question Richard that is a really really good question because the, like we said earlier the Pentagon Papers stop at 68 all right so why would Nixon be so worried about this and the answer to that question is and when you read the essay is that on the first day unlike what the movie shows Nixon laid low. He didn't really do very much at all. But two people, Henry Kissinger and John Mitchell, then on the second and third day that the Times published, they're the ones who warned him, and Kissinger especially, because he knew Ellsberg. All right? And he knew that it was probably Ellsberg getting these papers out. He said, this is making us subverting our government. You know, it's making you look like a weakling. And Kissinger knew exactly how to press Nixon's buttons. All right. So then Nixon then makes a fatal mistake. He calls up John Mitchell, the attorney general, says, do we have any case on this? John Mitchell was a bond lawyer in New York City. What did he know about prior restraint and freedom of speech? So he gives him some absolutely horrendous advice. He says, yes, we do. It's been done before, and all we have to do is advise the uh, suspect, and then we'll file charges. Well, that was utterly and completely wrong. It had never been done before. Didn't Lincoln do it during the Civil War? does not have an official secrets act. But didn't Lincoln do that during the Civil War? Didn't he shut down papers for that reason? Okay, there's a big difference when you have a civil war going on. Okay. Right. They wouldn't even allow it during World War One. Okay. But when there's a civil war going on in your own territory, the the court made a distinction. All right. But even during World War One, which the Espionage Act came out of, they 
that act was not designed to go after publication of newspapers. Mm. Okay, interesting. All right. So Good Goodale, the New, the New York City lawyer, who understood that, he understood that. That, they, that the Times had a good case. So i got to ask right. you, Jim, in the time that remains, when you only have a few minutes here, what, I, I, but somewhat of a rhetorical question about why Spielberg would decide to make the Washington Post and Ben Bradley and Kathleen Graham the heroes, and as you say, they include, uh, they include Daniel Ellsberg, the real hero, in, in, in only 15 minutes of the film. I mean, it's about him, really. This story is about him and Goodale, yeah. as you point out, another hero in this story, the New York Times. Why would he right. do that? Spielberg, that is. Well, Why would you he... know how bad it really was? In the first draft of the script, that 10-minute prologue at the beginning right. with the Times and Ellsberg that wasn't even in there. This is where Ellsberg is typing away on his typewriter. Meanwhile, there are yeah, bombs Vietnam, coming in, in Vietnam. And then they go ahead and they go to the copying machine and that wasn't in there. See, my, what, I, what I conclude is that, in my opinion, Spielberg and Hanks fancy themselves as historians, but they really aren't. They don't even hire anybody to do their research for them, which is what anybody who really wants to tell history should do. Right. You know? It's like they get and it out of Wikipedia really, or something. To me, that's bad. It is. It's beyond bad. It's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's lazy. It's just plain lazy. And yeah, it's not even a good story. I totally agree. Because the real story is so much better. Yeah, I, that, I agree with that, too. I mean, the, the real story has Ellsberg really being the very first big-time whistleblower in United States history, mm. doing this at the risk of his life, you know, and Russo doing more or less the same. You know, and then you have all these great characters like George McGovern and Robert Kennedy and Bill Fulbright and John Paul Van, and but they didn't have no interest in telling that story. And we should point out I that I don't ask me why. I really don't know well, why. Well, I don't know. Is it? It could it be because you know you've, you you talked about the CIA's um, uh, manipulation of Hollywood, and uh, you've written about that. I'm I'm wondering because you know the the owner of the Post, Jeff Bezos, uh, obviously has this huge contract with the CIA. Uh, to yes. to create this you know this cloud for them, uh, uh, and and so now we have to you know look twice every time we read about the Washington Post and their coverage of the CIA. Is that possible? Is there is there kind of a nexus there between Spielberg yeah, yeah, Richard, and Bezos? I really wish I could answer that question, you know, but I I would only be speculating, you know. I I really don't understand why Spielberg and Hanks do this kind of stuff. You know, and it, it, I try and address this in my book, you know, by the fact that as young men, they were outsiders, you know, and they wanted to be insiders. So now they're insiders and they don't want to really do any hard edge stuff. Because if you tell the true story of the Pentagon Papers, it's a completely different film. Right. It's not a feel good myth. Yeah. It's Oliver a very hard edge story. Oliver Stone should have done this movie. Now, there you go, okay? That's probably the only guy in Hollywood who could have done it justice, you know? All right. Well, thanks to you, Jim. We now know maybe people can save their money before going to see the post. Uh, or maybe they want to check it out anyway. But it is, as you say, mere Hollywood myth-making. Jim, always a pleasure. Let's talk again soon. All the best. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Kennedysandking.com, the website. All right. We are uh, reaching out to... Croatian remote viewer Igor Grigic. I think we have him. 
Ian has uh, remote viewed, and he's there and ready to go. And that's next on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.